Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, this week things heated up in Los Angeles, where the district is considering setting up a ranking scale for all its schools based on a one-to-five scale. This runs counter to California's new accountability system and efforts by education leaders to avoid giving schools a single number or rating. That's true. And instead to have schools ranked on multiple measures. But the plan in L.A. has run into some strong headwinds, and we'll take a closer look at the whole issue of whether it's a good idea to give schools a numerical rating like the one L.A. is thinking about. We'll also take a look at something that a lot of people take for granted, which is the condition of school buildings. It's become an issue demanding urgent attention in California, getting the money to build new buildings and renovate existing ones. There's just no more state money to hand out. And so in the last days of a legislature, there are actually negotiations still happening happening and whether to place a new construction bond by the state on the March ballot. And when you say not enough money to hand out, you mean the bond monies that voters approved before has basically been spent? That was three years ago, $9 billion, and that's either gone out the door or it's already allotted. Yes. $9 billion gone just like that? Well, not quite like that because Governor Brown held off and didn't want to send that money out the door for a while. That was a big issue. But yeah, now it's pretty much spent. And well, underscoring that this is a big ticket item, costs a lot of money. And that's just a state portion. Locals have to contribute their portion as well. Well, we'll get to that. But first, let's look at the whole issue of school rankings. As John, you have written about voluminously. I have. Um, you will remember the Academic Performance Index, the API. Maybe you won't remember it too fondly. I was a young kid then, Louis. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. But yes, less gray hair at the time, I'm sure. We've ranked the API ranked schools on a number under 1,000, mainly based on test scores. And then schools were ranked on a 1 to 10 scale. And of course, these rankings typically correlated highly with the income levels of students. So the state came up with another ranking, a similar schools index, also on a 1 to 10 scale, which compared schools to other schools with similar school population. Right. That's all in the past. So now the state has come up with a new accountability system, and it's one based on multiple measures, not only test scores, but things like graduation rates and suspension rates, chronic absenteeism, and something they're calling the college and career indicator. And you've seen it. It's called the California School Dashboard, and it's multicolored. How a district does on various indicators gets a different color, from red for the lowest performing ones to blue if you're really doing Going well, five different colors. And there's a lot on the dashboard, as I'm sure many of you listening are aware of. One thing you won't find, though, is a single overall ranking for a school. And that's what LA Unified is talking about doing based on a one to five numerical scale. And John, this week, Jackie Goldberg, a relatively new board member, introduced a resolution that won't be voted on until October, but it's very, very critical of this push in LA to set up this school ranking. So very unclear what will happen with that. But we thought we'd get Mike Kirst on the line. He's the former president of the State Board of Education. He was one of the chief architects of California's accountability system. And I know he's dead set against the idea of coming up with a single rating for schools. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Do you still think that that kind of single measure is not the way to go? And if so, why? Well, I strongly think that that's not the way to go from both technical and reasons of better policy. 
if you look at our dashboard, there's five or six factors there, plus some local factors. To reduce it to a single factor, you have to decide on a weight. So how much of the, let's say you're doing 100%, then that's an A. How much of that would be determined by test scores? Would that be 25%, 50%? How much would be determined by suspensions? How much by graduation? What happened in the past and in other states is they just grabbed numbers out of the air. Well, maybe test scores ought to be 50% and graduation 10%. There's no scientific basis for making these weightings, and we couldn't think of any basis for doing it. Secondly, we also were very much interested in growth year over the year. Now, how much do you weight growth versus the actual status? So if Palo Alto is very high but has low growth because they're very high, how do you weight those? So it's just no empirical way to do this. You make up arbitrary weights and numbers and get a single number, which is misleading. It's sort of like using the Dow Jones average for everything in the stock market. No reasonable investor would do that. So those are the technical reasons that we did it this way. Second, it sends the wrong signal and how people view policy. We wanted to set up and have set up a system of support for schools, and we wanted not a single number, but a nuanced view of many components and dimensions of the school. We wanted to be more specific on how to intervene and help schools and support them. Well, let me ask you about uh, Los Angeles Unified, and I know Great Schools has also done this. This is a website for parents. They've come up with a ranking. One of the problems with the API, the Academic Performance Index, it was really based mainly on test scores. Now, what they're talking about in L.A. is a score that combines different things, including some of the multiple measures. It includes school climate, includes college and career indicator. Isn't that an improvement over the old system, at least? It's somewhat of an improvement, but I go back to how do they rate school climate? A lot of people think that is very low compared to test scores. Other people think social-emotional learning ought to be very high. It's just a number that is pulled out of the air in terms of its internal components. Put yourself in a place of a parent who wants to send their child to a magnet school in L.A. Unified. There's dozens of them. So wouldn't a ranking at least be a start for a parent who then can look at the details? Well, it's interesting who speaks for these parents. Various groups claim to speak for parents, but the input we got was parents realize there's more to a school than rating it one, two, three, four, five. And so the overwhelming feedback we got is, tell us more about the nuances. We're talking with Michael Kirst, former president of the State Board of Education, president emeritus at Stanford University. It seems like it's human nature to want to rank things. I mean, we have rankings of refrigerators and athletes and colleges. And so it seems like this is a kind of a deep-seated impulse to, to want to rank things. Do you think that's part of what's going on? Yes, I think that's part of what's going on, and our role as educational leaders and as a state that wants to be on the front edge of things is to push back from that. We've been talking with Mike Kirst, former president of the State Board of Education. Thanks for speaking with us today. Okay, thank you. One organization that does rank schools based on a numerical rating is greatschools.org. 
It's a site that provides a ton of useful information for parents. We're happy to have John Dean. He's the executive director of gradeschools.org in the studio with us to talk about their ranking system and why they feel it is necessary to have a scale like that. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me today. So, John, just quickly, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about gradeschools.org. Yeah, Great Schools is the leading national nonprofit uh, providing information to parents about school quality and parenting guidance so they can help support their children in making the right choice for the child and advocating for their child throughout their education experience. And you reach hundreds of thousands of parents here in California, and I think millions across the country. Is that correct? We reach about 43 million users a year. Over half the parents of school-aged children in America visit greatschools.org. Looking at your website, you do have an overall rating for a school. And then if parents want to go further, you have ratings for how their schools are doing on academics. And then you have an equity rating as well. And then also another section on environment, student demographics, neighborhood discipline and attendance. So it's not only just the ranking, but I think a lot of people do go to your site to see, okay, how is my school doing? Or if I'm thinking of putting my kid into school, how is it doing looking at this scale of one to 10? Questions have been raised whether a ranking system like that does really reflect on what's going on in the school. What is your response to that? Our approach is to try to provide as broad of a picture as possible about what's happening at school. We want parents to understand the quality of that school and uh, we take the approach that multiple measures are really, really important. So as you alluded to, uh, within that summary rating, we have sub-ratings for different measures. And a couple that I would highlight are, are our equity rating. We have a college readiness rating for high schools. And where available, we have student progress or student growth ratings. And those are really important because they paint a broader picture for a parent of what's happening in the school. Will my child be successful here? Will they thrive? Are all children succeeding? And that helps both make choices and helps a parent understand what I might do to learn more about this school as I go forward. As you know, California as a state has moved in a very different direction, has really gone out of its way to resist coming up with a 1 to 10 scale or an A to F scale like many states do have. One of the concerns is that what goes into those ratings seems rather arbitrary. How much weight do you give to academics, equity? My view on the ratings overall is that they provide an important data point for a parent to look at when they're making a choice, whether it's to choose a different school or to understand how can I interact with this school as I'm helping my child through, this gives them a sense of where that school stands on a range of measures. What we encourage parents to do then, and any other user, is to look at the ratings, uh, the sub-ratings, and understand what goes into that, to understand, hey, does this school have a, an equity gap where some students are being served better than others? And so we can actually think about how to approach this from a picture of what do we want for our family or for our child, and how can we help the school? Um, so we think the rating does a job of, of putting all that together broadly. When we changed the measure in 2017 to expand and, and include these measures, we worked with a range of outside experts to understand that. And we acknowledge that there is a, a notion of what goes into that and, and how we put that together. It is not an exact science, but we want to continue to do our best to put those factors together in places where the data is available, and then to continue to, to use that rating as part of our profile of how we paint a picture for parents. I think one of the major concerns about a rating like this is, let's say you have a school that gets like a three rating, and that if there is a heavy emphasis, a big part of the rank that a school is given, 
is based on test scores. We just know that, unfortunately, there's a high correlation between test scores and income backgrounds. And so a parent might say, oh, the school is a three or a four. It might actually be a pretty good school, but working with a primarily low-income background. And so that school might be stigmatized. Parents be less likely to send their kids to that school. And a lot of what we try to do is provide tools within greatschools.org for how you might look at comparable schools in an area. So you might take the subgroups of students in a school and see how they're performing at one school and then search for others nearby to see if there's other schools that are maybe performing better. And that'll help start a conversation for that parent or within that community about what's going on at different places. Thanks so much. We've been talking with John Dean, CEO of greatschools.org. Look forward to staying in touch with you on this relatively controversial issue. Thanks for having me, and I hopefully we'll see you here in Oakland. Well, John, what's your take on what John Dean had to say? Well, I've always been of two minds on rankings like that. Lewis, if I were a parent and had a choice of 50 magnet schools in LA, I'd sure want a quick start, and then a single score would provide that for me, and then I'd want to look at the various factors that went into that ranking and see how it affects my child. So it's, you know, it's sort of a quick index, but at the same time, The California School Dashboard had multiple audiences, and its main purpose was to provide a guide to parents for school improvement, so that for those who wanted to get involved with their annual local control and accountability plan, to go in and really look at suspension rates and say, wait a minute, they're too high, that color is orange or yellow, and we want to raise it, so let's deal with that in this plan. So it was to involve parents in improving their schools, and that has a tremendous value. Certainly an interesting issue and a core issue. California is really leading the way on this whole approach of multiple measures in how it rates its schools. And I personally think that it's uh, too soon to throw this out. But as Mike Chris points out, it's not like there's a lot of pressure right now. L.A. is a bit of an outlier on this, but a significant one. And as we indicated before, it's still a long way from becoming a reality in Los Angeles. But let's shift gears quickly, John, on school facilities. Some activity in Sacramento on this this week. Uh, Fill us in. So Assemblyman Patrick O'Donnell, who's chair of the Assembly Ed Committee, he has proposed a bill that would have two bonds, one a $13 billion bond in March 2020 and then come back two years later with a bond of he hasn't set the size yet. And so it was, you know, going along, had a lot of education groups behind it. It was going along at great speed until it wasn't. And then last week, the governor and Department of Finance, governor's aides, said, wait a minute, we haven't had our say here. And they've sidetracked it into another committee so that they can negotiate the terms. And it has to be done very quickly because it's got to be voted out by Friday. Yeah, but what's the stumbling block here? I mean, these bond measures usually get a lot of support from voters. And what's the controversy here then? Well, we don't know for sure because they're not talking. But the Department of Finance under Governor Brown raised a lot of issues about the equity of the formula that, in fact, large property wealthy districts and large districts got disproportionate amounts of the matching state dollars because they were able to afford larger bonds. And the larger the bond, the more state matching funds they get. Well, John, you did some reporting on this. I believe you went down to Fresno to see how they would be affected. That's right. We have released a video about that experience in Fresno. And Fresno is the fourth largest district in the state. It's a low-income district, and it actually has very low property values per student compared with the rest of the state. And so we went down and took a look at the buildings. And there are old buildings that are 
need repair and the district can't get to the larger needs that students have, like gyms and air-conditioned lunchrooms and other things. And so it really presents, a, I'd say, a compelling case for some kind of change. And that video is now on our website, and I encourage people to take a look at it. What should we be looking out for? Things need to be resolved in the next couple days because the legislature needs to have a bill in print for 72 hours before it can vote on it, and the legislature adjourns on Friday the 13th. So I would expect if there's going to be a solution, it will be over the weekend or Monday. And if not, it's possible that it will be delayed for two years and they'll try again in 2022. Lots of moving parts. If you want to get a more in-depth look at the issue, check out our website for the video that John just mentioned. It's called Achieving Fair Funding for School Modernization in California, a case study. It's on our website, edsource.org. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz, Jazz Orchestra, and our own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Music